Hello and welcome to another Fine Mayor's Global Capital's dedicated securitization podcast. This week, we're something akin to the walking wounded, but we do have a full house for you today with uh, Victoria Teeler on CLOs. Hello, Tom. And George Smith is just about to ke- able to keep his eyes open. Hello, hello, Tom. Parenting ain't that easy, is it? Well, it could go up and down sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> George, George hasn't had much sleep in the last uh, five or six days. I think he might want to retract his uh, original <laughs> statement that I leaked on this podcast. There's, well, there's and... been a bit of um, un- unwellness in the in the Henderson Smith household, so that's not yeah. helped. Well, I'm sure they'll all be fine very soon. Um, the the other thing is, I was at a sleepless uh, nights. <laughs> yes, I I was at a uh, awards dinner last night, and you can tell it was a really good evening, and everyone had a great time, because despite having dinner, I I managed to fall asleep in a chair at home, covered in McDonald's. <laughs> um, not not my um. Not my proudest moment, but uh, we live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> like at least it wasn't KFC. You know, so. um, yes, exactly. So let's start with you this time, Victoria, Ooh. though, because I think we're often very rude on this podcast, going men first. But your story was awesome Ooh, yesterday. I, I, do, I do like to think of it as saving the best for last normally. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just your off-the-mill sexism. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, yeah. But anyway, your story is called European CLO Managers Must Brace for Tougher Spread Tiering. Um, and so, so basically for a long time in this, in European CLOs, deals at the same time have often looked quite similar, haven't they? And, and, and that... And you're saying that that's sort of changing now. Yeah. And um, well, why? Um, So, yeah, you're right. Um, Europe was sort of very well known in the CLO market for just pricing deals on top of each other. Um, Sort of if we we got one deal um, in February pricing at 180 basis points, random number, um, probably the other deals in the same um, time will price very similar. And there's not very much differentiation as to is that like a better manager or a not as good manager or are they doing anything differently? Um, and the only thing that was getting a little bit of attention in terms of different spreads was whether somebody is a new manager um, mm. who doesn't have a big track record. Um, and that could make like a few base points of difference, but not as much as in the US where some people say it can be like 90 base points or so. I'm not super familiar with the, with the numbers there, but it's definitely much bigger. Um, yeah, definitely at least 50 yeah, i would say exactly and yeah. that's that's sort of unheard of like if you look um last okay. year um in like february early february before the whole ukraine war started um Acer Tree launched their first clo and that price like i think it was 97 base points which is five base points wider than other right deals. okay so like it's really not very much um and now that we've sort of moved into a more tricky environment that is changing um because the reason why there wasn't much differentiation is that we have in europe we have a smaller loan market compared to the number of clo managers so basically all the clos end up containing the same loans um so so all deals are just more similar but and not that we have a more active loan market now but 
Um, what has changed is that the general situation is more more tricky. Um, so it's becoming more important how CLO managers are um, dealing with risk or now that loan ex loans supply is even more scarce, um, it's about who has access to to loans to A and E deals. Um, so we have started to see um, those things being reflected a bit more in pricing over the past nine months or so. That's what people said. How, how, how so? What are we talking in terms of basis point? Um, so there was signal for example um, there was a new manager who priced a deal in may and there was a difference of um 15 base points uh, i think okay, it was and then so we it's had around to, that sort of mark yeah and we had sort of we had nassau um they they issued their third clo but um when i talked to people they were still saying yeah they're basically still seen as a, as a relatively new manager because they don't wow. have loads of experience um and they were about 20 base points wider um they were like at one 95 when quite a few others priced around 175 um so so it's not like a whole host of data because there haven't been that many of those deals um but we have quite a few in the pipeline um pemberton is marketing mm -hmm. although they're probably gonna price a bit tighter because they're just a really well-known um sort of just private credit investor with a really good track record but we have arini and sona and carvel um and a few others who will be first-time issuers and it's going to be really interesting to see where these guys price yeah, particularly as a lot of them have, um, you know, they're not they're not new to CLOs, the actual yeah. people in the organisation. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. I I can think that too. Like because it's normally it's not like some greenhorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're now like putting onto CLO desk. Um, I mean, it's interesting though because like I was at a meeting this week and an investor there said, you know, sort of doing a presentation. He said the last ten years in credit, like across capital markets, across credit. He said have been he said it was actually quite hard to lose money <laughs> because interest yeah. rates were so low no one was defaulting um and but the flip side of that is that it's made it harder to differentiate between who's actually a good manager yeah. or a good lender or whatever and who's just riding their luck <laughs> um and um is that is that really what this sort of comes down to in your mind yeah because it can't be different collateral right there's no, no like you said there's no supply no exactly all buying the same stuff it, literally yeah i think it's it's more coming down to to certain things um like yeah just managing the red risk sort of within the scope of possibility because if you're clo manager in this sort of more difficult time um there's certain things you can do to manage uh your risk for like downgrades and defaults some people are mm -hmm. you could um because loans are so difficult to come by right now um, in terms of primary supply, some people have been tempted to include more high yield bonds, which people don't like to, t to tend to like that much. Um, and you, if you're, I've, I've actually had some of the people who perceive themselves as more of the high quality end of the spectrum being quite smug about um, this increased tiering. I was talking to, to one guy as one of the sort of top biggest, um, probably like top 10 I think it was um uh CLO managers and um that that guy said that um actually yeah we 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 want we want the tiering to be so big that none of these like upstarts that's my word not his um come up <laughs> and just like muck about in our market um because and the, the argument there was that um if you're quite new so if you're a 
the arbitrage is still difficult. So if you're a big established manager, you have your captive equity fund, you can sort of sit that out and still issue a high quality deal where you don't sort of start going for cheaper loans that are sort of less quality in the secondary market. Um, but if you're a new manager, you sort of need to prove that like the equity returns are there um, either yeah. because you're in it with your own money and you can't just hold out that long or because you need third, extra third party equity. Um, mm. And so there was a bit of that feeling that they might um, be a bit more uh, sort of prone to risky behavior, but I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I think maybe he was so, just so... not wanting competition over the same loads. <laughs> so, so, so overall, would you, would you say this is, a good or bad development or is not quite i think it's good um i mean as a journalist i want loads of new managers to come because that's a cool thing to write about for me um <laughs> but i think in in general that differentiation in pricing is good you know because um i mean george you um you wrote a piece that sort of saw some similar developments in the rmbs market wasn't there because if you're an investor um and your potential deals price at different levels you sort of can say oh i don't want this one i want you because there's something i like better about you um it's sort of a more sophisticated market um and i think if these kinds of opportunities exist that can help ultimately attracting hopefully potentially a few new investors because what especially the clo market is struggling with a little bit is that it's still quite small um and there aren't all that many AAA investors um and perhaps this can sort of be a small sign of a maturing market um, that that can hopefully um, help on that front. So I think it's 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 generally a good sign. Yeah, um, this whole uh, conversation reminds me of a, a devastating new witty insult <laughs> I came up with uh, last week, <laughs> you? which went very <laughs> unappreciated. <laughs> yeah, one of my friends had their had like all their playlists on uh, out, and they were basically all the same songs, apart from kind of one or two on the edges. So I told them that they were the European CLO market of DJing because they just changed one or two little things on the edges to set the, <laughs> set the mood. What? I can't imagine possibly <laughs> how your friends. <laughs> It's it's really it's really the bane of our existence, isn't it? We're really unfunny to other people now that we spend all our time thinking about. <laughs> Something tells me that for George that hasn't really changed in the last few years. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then you also have written about um, a story about Spires CLO, uh, which had a third party equity buyer. I, uh, I know. I thought that was quite really rare. Cool. I know, I know, because um, yeah. Uh, as we sort of briefly touched upon, the arbitrage has been really difficult um, to make worth uh, work because basically CLO managers have to pay their debt buyers so much that there's not that much left for the equity in the end. Um, so yeah, some people estimate that it's sort of more than 80% of European CLO equity have been taken by, um, by captive funds and managers who don't have captive funds and who rely on just the whole thing is an arbitrage game where you have to attract external investors um, haven't been able to come. But yeah, so I was quite thrilled to see um, that Spire actually managed to do that. Um, and there's, there's a bit of speculation. Does, Sorry. I was going to say, does that show then that arbitrage is improving if they're able to do that? It is improving a bit. Um, we have definitely seen that in the last few CLOs that have been priced. So it's 
better, but it's it's I, I wouldn't have thought that it's quite at the point um, where, where where this will become sort of a widespread thing. But um, I think it is a nice sign to see that there has been a bit of speculation. Um, I mean, it's always the market is always a bit opaque on who actually invests. Um, so now, of course, everybody is wondering who bought that equity. Um, there was some um, some rumors about that it might have been Elliot because they've worked with them before. Um, I think I can rule that out. Um, I think it was not them. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's. I think it's. I think it's great to see. To be continued. To be continued. Exactly. <laughs> um... Right, yes, and so let, let's move to George now. I, I, I mean, how are you feeling? Are you still with us? So you've Just, had a little yeah. perk up there. You asked the question. You sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Is the market giving you any respite? Um, it's still been busy. It's still been, it's been very busy. <laughs> uh, I think we may be at the point where the they're starting to see a, a little bit of a slowdown in the rate of issuance, although. I think people are still expecting a relatively busy uh, sort of next, at least the next month, not uh, not kind of going completely quiet. And uh, it's still all going very well, apart from the one trade from Wizink Bank, the Portuguese credit card deal that was both shrunk and widened after uh, a, a long time in the market. But yeah, it has it almost disappeared like it... for a while, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was like. It started marketing in August, and it's on a price today, I think. Less said, the better. Well, (laughs) I I wrote a story on Thursday. I say I. um, But um, it's it's called Returning Buyers Fuel European ABS Deal Spree, but Pipeline to Test Depth. Bit of a mouthful, that one. Um, which you, uh, you George, you were heavily involved in creating by virtue of doing practically every interview in the piece. Um, <laughs> so, your but um, but you, you know your your sleep deprivation torture chamber that is now your house um, <laughs> meant that I had to uh, finish the job. Um, but your original idea really was to look at the sort of last three weeks and assess why. Some of the things I think we've spoken about them quite a lot in the last last month about on on this podcast why they've happened, which is mainly um, strong demand for investors in both seniors and and mezzanine. Um, but yeah, so so what seems to be happening in in your mind? Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a different story on the seniors and the mez. On the senior side of the market, there are lots of accounts out there. You know these like say the, the kind of prime RMBS trades were being placed with 20 to 30 investors. But what I heard and you wrote about was that there is just a few like hungry bank treasuries, which are basically driving the market, particularly on the Sterling side. And they've moved from buying prime RMBS to buying like buy to let and non-conforming as well. So on on that side, it's it's very much dependent on bank treasuries and in particular a limited number of hungry bank treasuries and then on the mez side this is all about kind of returning asset managers who've been out of the market for whatever reason too much volatility uh didn't like the look of didn't have enough cash or just didn't like the look of deals who are now coming back in and we spoke about that before um so that's what's uh and that's been very dramatic that's kind of really 
propped up a lot of big or big books on Mez deals. And that sounds like a really sort of deep, sustainably good, positive development. Um, I think you had that quote in there by 24am that said that this was two of the busiest fortnights for issuance in more than a decade. Um, so are we have we like redeemed ourselves as a time to dispense with that notion that you've um, sort of European securitization is the, the sick man of capital markets? Yeah, I mean, this is what I've sort of, when I first became a securitization reporter, people were going, Back in the securitization, day. <laughs> yeah, not what it used to be, not what it used to be, <laughs> but I think it's still not what it used to be. Um, it is true that we've seen a lot of deals going very well, and we, we have a kind of editorial call where everyone says what they've got for the week, and I'm pretty sure I've been the busiest every day for sort of the last three weeks, although that is slightly due to the fact our deals take over a week to price. Um, and there are, I mean, as I just said, there are some specific reasons there are there are these buyers right now. Um, but, you know, the hungry bank treasuries can be sated and the asset managers can change their mind about MERS just as quickly as they change their mind the first time around. So we're not talking about like the investor base growing here. We may be talking about a few investors returning and maybe here and there one or two investors, which means the the same problems which have always made securitization kind of the the sick man of capital markets as you said uh, <laughs> uh, are not going to change until there's some sort of systemic or regulatory change and this reminds me actually of one of my favorite quotes which is from robert persig uh who, who is Robert Percy? He's a he's a philosopher and author. Um, this is what a Cambridge education gives you, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be in the riffraff like us. <laughs> he, he says, if a factory is torn down, but the rationality which produced it is left standing, then that rationality will simply produce another factory. If a revolution destroys a government, but the systemic patterns of thought that produced the government are left intact, then those patterns will repeat themselves. But but it's interesting though, isn't it? Because, you know, that, that idea around, and it's something, it's almost frustrating as, as journalists to write about securitization in Europe in, in, to some degree, isn't it? In, in that you go, you, you, you can very easily end up down the same rabbit hole every single story, which is the regulations limit us. And, um, you know, talking to people this week, I think the 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 prospect of genuine change on that is is massive. Um, you know, I and 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 the problem really was highlighted in in the piece, which is the one little bit of work that I did do for the for the article, um, where where the the investor says he basically said, if you've got a European balance sheet, you cannot invest in structured products. Because it doesn't make sense, and 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 you know, big investor saying, we we don't we can't touch this stuff. We'd love to, we'd love to, but we can't, and that's the worst bit, if you like. But on the optimistic side, I, I suppose you've got other people saying, well, I spoke to regulators the other day. And um, they really seemed like they were in listening mode in the EU. Um, and so there is signs that it's starting to change. Um, but yes, 
it's yeah. Do you do you agree, George? Or I mean, it's obviously yeah. I mean, we spoke about low. it quite some late yeah. last week in response to that um, FT column from the, mm. the French and German ministries. But yeah, I mean, you've obviously seen this kind of cycle more times than me, uh, but it does seem to be a more kind of more possibilities with the way the UK is re- reviewing its rules. Yeah. And I think you were saying last time that the EU will be watching that with interest. And, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, right. So before we go, um, last week it was um, it was the Arsenal podcast. But, but we're not we're not going to give you that. <laughs> like Chris, Chris Tarrant, we're not going to give you that. Um, we're going to give you some Parisian restaurant Ooh, reviews. We, we... <laughs> um, because you have been on holiday, and we I haven't have... we haven't mentioned it. Um, um, did you have a nice time? I did have a very nice time. I mean, it's Paris in September. Um, what what could go wrong? Um, so yeah, I, I haven't like... been since I was seven. So oh, really, you have no excuse. That's two two hours on the Eurostar, Tom. I know. Um... All I can remember is Disneyland Paris. As well. <laughs> that counts. Um... My mum doesn't like Disney, so it wasn't. It wasn't very fun. She uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom didn't but, take us to Disney this time. I'm really offended. Yes, um, oh, no, okay. we we had to go to all kinds of museums. Though um, it was it was really nice, um, and I feel like we just spent we just were we were just basically eating the whole time because that's um, the thing you can do in Paris. And I'm now any shout out to a particular restaurant? Actually, there there was. Um, it's it's not like the most French kind of cuisine, but I've really like it took me 26 years and a trip to Paris to find out that the secret to amazing ramen is a broth based on fish. <laughs> um, so if you're ever in Paris, <laughs> ignore all the like steaks and snails and frogs, just go to Kodavari Ramen. Um, they have one that's all focused on chicken and one that's all focused on um, on fish. And my brother and me will be raving about that for the rest of our lives, I think, because it was really, really, really amazing. Um, I'm sure the people of Kodavari Ramen will be so grateful be to, to hear exactly. about your plugging. Exactly. Can um, I make a break not sponsored. I feel like I should, I should say well, that occasionally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, George, what, what was we that? Were, I was in Paris over the summer and I have a very quick recommendation as well for people who like feeling smug. Um, I feel, I feel what, what what gives you the impression that listeners to the podcast <laughs> on civilization like to In feel the financial smart. markets how dare you George <laughs> uh, there's a restaurant called Abri Soba which has a, only a very limited number of tables and a no reservation system and it's always got a long queue and if you arrive just before it opens maybe 15 minutes before you only have to queue for 15 minutes and then it starts raining and you can look at the queue stretching back halfway up the street of people who are <laughs> waiting for you to finish your <laughs> The food's crap. Exactly. <laughs> it's, you, actually, it's the queue. you actually just like played for a tea and left. But... <laughs> Brick goes to Europe, finds queue. Um... <laughs> right, enough of this. Enough of this. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you for listening. Get in touch with all of us with our first name, dot last name at globalcapital.com. So tom.lemon at globalcapital.com and so on. And if you're getting tired of hearing my voice and George's voice and Victoria's voice, um, mainly mine, I reckon, you can always just get a subscription to Global Capital and read our stories. Uh, But for now, it's goodbye from us. Goodbye. (laughs) 